This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. President Joe Biden said America would not send F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine despite pleas from Ukrainian officials for air support. Germany has also ruled out providing aircraft. However, Emmanuel Macron, France's president, said nothing is excluded when it comes to military assistance. Meanwhile, Vladimir Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said Russia has begun its big revenge for Ukrainian resistance amid Russian attacks in eastern Ukraine. America will end its COVID-19 emergency declarations on May 11th, nearly three years after they were introduced. The measures were put in place by Donald Trump, but Joe Biden has repeatedly extended them, allowing Americans to get free COVID treatments, vaccines and tests. Costs will instead soon be charged to private insurance and government health plans. The Biden administration reportedly stopped providing licenses for some American firms to export items to Huawei. The Chinese telecom giant has faced export restrictions for years because of concerns that it helps China's government engage in espionage. The proposed tightening is seen as another step towards the imposition of a total ban on sale of American technology to Huawei. The value of Norway's $1.3 trillion sovereign wealth fund, one of the world's largest, fell by around 14% in 2022. The fund, which holds assets nearly three times larger than Norway's GDP, lost 1.64 trillion kroner, equivalent to $167 billion last year. Nikolai Tangen, its chief executive, said that the war in Ukraine, high inflation and rising interest rates had all done damage. Samsung Electronics reported its lowest quarterly profit since 2014, partly because of a slump in chip sales. The South Korean giant earned 4.3 trillion won, equal to $3.5 billion in operating income in the last quarter of 2022. The firm, however, said it would not reduce investment in chip production as it believes demand will pick up in the second half of 2023. In Pakistan, rescuers are still searching for bodies after a suicide bombing at a mosque in Peshawar on Monday killed at least 90 people. The mosque was in a fortified security compound that houses the city's police and counter-terrorism offices, and many of the dead were policemen. The Tariq-e-Taliban Pakistan, a militant organization, denied responsibility for the bombing, blaming a splinter group. British Columbia, a Canadian province, is beginning a three-year trial decriminalizing hard drugs, the first such experiment in the country. Adults may now possess up to 2.5 grams of drugs like heroin, cocaine, fentanyl and methamphetamine without being arrested or charged. Instead, they will be told about local health and social services. The nearby American state of Oregon decriminalized drugs for personal use in 2020. And fact of the day. 11 billion the total number of wet wipes Britons dispose of each year. So many that they've begun to form islets in rivers. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead.
The IMF's latest growth forecast. The health of the world economy will get a checkup on Tuesday when the IMF publishes its latest forecast. The last time it did this in October, the outlook was not good. The fund predicted global growth in 2023 of just 2.7 percent, the weakest performance since the global financial crisis, barring the worst year of the pandemic. The outlook has improved a little since, however. Financial markets have rallied. A broad measure of emerging market share prices has had its best start to a year in decades. Headline inflation has fallen, allowing central banks to slow the rates at which they are tightening monetary policy. A warm winter in Europe has eased its energy crisis somewhat, and China has ditched the zero COVID policy that hindered its growth and snarled supply chains. The world economy could avoid a deep downturn, but inflation is not yet fully under control, and economies on the cusp of recession can be unpredictable. The IMF's new prognosis may be brighter, but malaise remains. Adani's troubles rumble on. Last week, Hindenburg Research, a small American investment firm, published a report calling the Adani Group, a big Indian conglomerate, quote, the largest con in corporate history. Adani dismissed the report as a ploy by Hindenburg, which, as a short seller, makes money when its target's share prices tank, to depress its share price ahead of a secondary share offering, which ends on Tuesday. If it was, it worked. The market value of the group's firms fell by nearly seventy billion dollars, even though it published a four hundred and thirteen-page rebuttal. The fallout could be more devastating yet. Life Insurance Corporation of India, a state insurer with three hundred and sixty-five billion rupees or four point five billion dollars invested in Adani companies, is studying the issue. Opposition parties have called for a quote serious investigation, pointing to ties between the Prime Minister Narendra Modi and Gautam Adani, the group's founder and boss. So far, Mr. Modi and his allies have been quiet. So too have prospective investors. The share offering with which Adani hoped to raise two point five billion dollars has attracted few buyers. Meloni's steady start. Georgia Maloney's right-wing Italian government completes its first 100 days on Tuesday. Its record so far has been reassuring. It has been a steadfast ally to Ukraine while following a conservative but not extreme program at home. The government successfully steered through Parliament a budget for 2023. Her brothers of Italy (FDI) party is polling at almost 30 percent, compared with a vote share of 26 percent in September's general election. But the smooth sailing may not last. The FDI's gains have come at the expense of the Northern League and Silvio Berlusconi's Forza Italia, coalition partners that may yet cause Ms. Maloney problems, especially over plans for constitutional reform. During the next 100 days, Italy should receive its third tranche of almost 200 billion euros, or 218 billion dollars, on offer from the EU's post-pandemic recovery fund. But spending is way behind schedule, perhaps due to bureaucratic shortcomings. And while markets have been supportive, heavily indebted Italy remains vulnerable to a bond market sell-off. Saving the Colorado River. Coursing through America's arid southwest, the Colorado River supplies 40 million people in seven states with water and hydropower. But the region and river have suffered a two-decade drought, which has caused the water level to drop considerably. 
In 2021, the federal government declared the river's first-ever water shortage. In August last year, triggered mandatory cuts to how much water can be used by several areas in the Colorado River Basin. To comply with federal goals, states will need to agree who should cut what to reduce their usage by 2 to 4 million acre-feet, or 4.9 billion cubic meters, this year, around one-third of the river's annual flow. Tuesday marks a deadline, which has already been extended, for them to submit a plan. If they do not, the federal government will dictate how much water use must be reduced. Historically, states have determined their own water rights. Changing that may be unpopular, but it may be the only way to keep the river flowing. Shetland modernizes its marauders. Men dressed up as Vikings will march around Lerick in Shetland, Scotland's northernmost inhabited islands, on Tuesday, as they do every year. For Upheli A, Europe's biggest fire festival, a thousand goisers parade with torches and burn an imitation longship. This year, women, previously relegated to serving food and drink as hostesses, will be allowed to carouse alongside them. The decision follows a long campaign by some locals to update the event, which contributes significantly to Shetland's tourism revenue. Equality is slowly coming to the islands in other ways, too. In 2022, women were elected to senior positions on the island's council for the first time. Purists who might lament that the upgrade in women's roles is a break with Shetland's Norse traditions need not fret. Upheli A was actually dreamt up by Victorian do-gooders as a way to distract young men from drinking away the long winter nights. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Tuesday. What was the code name given to the development of the nuclear bomb during the Second World War? Monday. Which small hand tool for boring holes is also used to describe a piercing stare? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Tallulah Bankhead, who was born on this day in 1902. I read Shakespeare and the Bible, and I can shoot dice. That's what I call a liberal education. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.